Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, what's up? My Take Radio episode 32 for Thursday, February 25th, 2010. Tonight's music, Omen of Geneva, is presented by ocremix.org. The artist is Neko Frog 1, N-E-K-O, Frog the number one. If you'd like to download that or any of the other music that has been used in previous broadcasts, head over to ocremix.org, the letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call-in number, as always, is 347-324-3541. All right. Lots of stuff to discuss this week. First off, got to give a shout-out to the guests from last week, to Angel and to Joanna from GirlGamer.com. Not only did they do a great job being my guest last week, but their show is the second most downloaded episode of My Take Radio thus far. Uh, The guys from The Deadliest Warrior hold the distinction of being number one. Um, Nonetheless, it was a great appearance by the ladies. Uh, They discussed a lot. They also gave us a lot of insight about GirlGamer.com. If you haven't checked it out, head over to GirlGamer.com. Stop by their forums. Check it out. They really run a smooth site, very welcoming, very inviting. Also, in regards to that, there was a, a slight bit of controversy because of their appearance. I'm not going to go into it too much, just the matter that there was, you know, a lot of arguments about the definition of quote-unquote girl gamer. Um, nonetheless, those arguments in some respects are valid, but um, I definitely would recommend that you speak to Joanna or Angel just to get a a brief understanding of their interpretation of it. I understand where they're coming from. I also understood um, some of the people's commentary relating to that. Nonetheless, um, it seems everything is on the up and up regarding that. And I'm going to make sure to get those ladies back in the near future. I'm also trying to draw up an email to work on something with them regarding uh, promoting GirlGamer.com a little more just been super busy it's fucking snowing here in new york and uh things are running a little slower than they should be nonetheless with that being said um the ads i'm not going to say anything else about them you know why they're there you know what they're for uh you know check them out help support the show uh the forums mytakeradio.com slash forums lots to talk about right now there's um a very big discussion about video game and comic book collectibles, definitely stop in if you're into that or to discuss any of the other stuff that isn't covered on the show or is covered on the show, definitely stop in there for that. Um, a couple of new posts, Slick put up a review for Darksiders, which was very well done. Uh, props to Slick, definitely stop in, leave some commentary on that. Um, also, him along with the other staff members 
will be getting direct email addresses. So if you want to contact any of the people that wrote articles for the site directly, that will be available to you as well. Of course, you can also private message them on the forum. Uh, regarding that, that's pretty much all the housekeeping for this week. Um, this week's show, on a personal note, I am dedicating to my mom. Uh, she passed away. She effectively, effective Saturday would be 10 years since she passed away. So uh, tonight's show is for my mom. This is for you. And with that, let's get into the rundown. We're going to talk some UFC. We're going to talk UFC 110. We're going to talk WWE NXT. We're going to talk about the Elimination Chamber, Nintendo's Media Day, a whole bunch of movie news. We got reboots. We got casting news. We got sequels. We got Jim from The Office and his involvement with something that Marvel is working on that's going to blow your minds. Uh, we're going to talk about Frank Mir wanting to kill Brock Lesnar and the firestorm that that caused um, not only among the MMA community, but Twitter, mainstream media, the works. Excuse me. And with that being said, let's get into this week's MMA news. First off, wow, too much water. Um, MMAJunkie.com reported that the Nevada State Athletic Commission received a request from UFC for an event on July 3rd. Uh, the event in question would be UFC 116, and um, it'll probably take place at the MGM Grand Arena. The reason that this is a very interesting piece of news it is because it's supposed to be the return of Brock Lesnar. He would be main eventing the card and fighting the winner of the Frank Mir Shane Carwin fight. Also, in other Brock Lesnar news, uh, Brock Lesnar's trainer Greg Nelson said that Lesnar's on his way to returning to the UFC. He's healing at a very, very fast rate. He's also gaining a lot of the weight that he lost. Since he changed his diet, he's been adjusting. He's been uh, evolving, so to speak. And, you know, he's adjusted his diet, and now his eating habits are uh, more balanced. There's definitely um, some vegetables being thrown in there, so definitely props to Brock Lesnar for getting his shit together. Um, also, Yahoo Sports reported that Quentin Rampage Jackson did sign to fight Rashad Evans while they were in Australia. That is supposed to be the main event for UFC 114. And in regards to UFC 110, let's talk about a couple of things. Before I discuss the card, UFC 110 was the highest UFC event outside of North America. They had 17,831 fans. They made 2.5 million numbers. Um, it, the event broke the record for the people, you know, the fans in the Acer Arena. Um, it is now the highest grossing sporting event at that arena, and the merchandise sales beat Iron Maiden's record, which was the previous uh, large-scale you know, event that they had at that venue. So definitely props to the UFC for that. Um, their overseas events by attendance have been phenomenal. Um, UFC 110 broke the record that was set by UFC 105, which was 16,693. So UFC definitely on its way to becoming a global phenomenon. And while we're on the subject of UFC 110, Let's go through some of the fights. Um, one of the first fights was a heavyweight fight, which was between Anthony Parash and Mirko Krokop. Um, originally, it was supposed to be Krokop fighting Ben Rothwell, but um, he ended up getting sick when he arrived in Australia, so Anthony Parash stepped up. Um, pretty decent performance. Krokop went in. He um, definitely dominated, but you've got to give Parosh credit for taking the fight on two days' notice. He did well. But uh, Krokop took the fight 
by a TKO cut in round two. So, Krokop, I wouldn't say this is his um, his his resurgence, but it's definitely a good performance. It does a lot to help him psychologically, so that's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, Ryan Bader uh, fought Keith Jardine. Jardine is coming off um, a bit of a loss. He was coming off a KO loss to Thiago Silva. Bader was coming off a unanimous decision victory over Eric Schaefer. Definitely an awesome fight. Ryan Bader is 11-0. Uh, Keith Jardine is 14-7. and uh, After this fight, he was 14-8 and because Ryan Bader got him with a knockout. Um, he hit him with a big left, knocked him out in round three. Definitely a great performance by Bader. Definitely a guy to watch. Um, Chris Lytle also fought. Um, he fought on the preliminary card. He fought Brian Foster. Um, Lytle always goes. He impresses. Does a great job. He ended up winning the fight by submission with a knee bar. So definitely great performance by him. George Sotteropoulos, a native of Australia, fought Joe Stevenson. Um, great fight from start to finish. Definitely showed that Sotteropoulos improved his his skills, and he showed it. He definitely had a great fight against uh, Joe Stevenson, and he ended up winning that fight by unanimous decision. Um, the co-main event of the evening was Bisping fighting Vanderlei, which was just a phenomenal fight back and forth. But Silva ended up taking the fight by unanimous decision. Um, he's actually looking now towards fighting Akayama as his next opponent, so definitely... This win for Silva was huge, shows that he's still relevant, shows that he's still in the game. Um, he actually said that the facial surgery that he had improved his breathing, helped him a lot, and it definitely showed in this performance, just a solid, solid performance by Vanderlei. Um, the main event was Cain Velasquez fighting Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira. Uh, Minotauro, of course, was the heavy favorite, um, given his veteran status and just his experience, but... Cain uh, Velasquez upset Minotauro by winning the fight in round one with a KO. It ended up being a uh, little bit of a back and forth. Velasquez hit a body shot, then he missed a knee, but then Cain um, took him out. Big left hook, then a big right hand, and then he just pounced on him and handled his business. So definitely Cain Velasquez is now um, definitely in title contention, I'm assuming, that he's going to be next in line after Lesnar fights either Mir or Carwin. Definitely a great performance by Kane. Um, the AKA guys definitely do a great job, and Velasquez showed that he's ready to, to hang with the big boys, so props to him for that. And um, one of the light heavyweight fights that I had wanted to see that was a prelim was uh, Stefan Bonner fighting Christoph Szczynski. It ended up being that... Uh, Szczynski won the fight by TKO in round three due to an um, accidental headbutt. Um, the athletic commission in Australia stopped the fight. Um, Forrest, I mean Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner is going to be um, trying to appeal that decision based on the fact that it should have been ruled a no contest as opposed to a uh, TKO for Szczynski. Both guys want a rematch, and... With the fight they had, they definitely deserve it, and I honestly would want to see it. So definitely UFC 110 was a solid card. A lot of people said that it was a, a placeholder, and it wasn't as relevant as it should have been, but a lot of great fights, a lot of, lot of eyes were opened. Cain Velasquez shocked the world. He came, he knocked out 
Nog and handled his business and put himself in the title picture. So definitely props to Kane, uh, Ryan Bader for his great performance, um, and Vandalay Silva, who, you know, I have a little bit of uh, personal interest because he's a, one, one of my favorite fighters from the Pride days. The guy's just a, a vicious fucking dude, man. He has no problems in busting somebody's face open. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. And Vandalay does a great job, so props to him. Moving down the list, last week I mentioned that UFC had signed a deal with Fathead. They do the uh, large um, sports figures, the, the giant stickers, and, you know, it's very cool. It's a little sign that UFC continues to go mainstream. Um, the Fatheads that are going to be made for the UFC are going to, of course, consist of the following fighters, Brock Lesnar, uh, welterweight champ George St. Pierre, middleweight champion Anderson Silva, BJ Penn, John Bones Jones, Junior Dos Santos, and Nate Marquardt. If for any reason you want to buy one of those, you can go over to Fathead's website, which I will put up during the uh, post-show post, and you can pick that up for $100. So, yeah, for $100, you can have a giant sticker of Brock Lesnar uh, staring you in the face when you go to sleep. Uh, definitely not something I'd do, but for those real hardcore fans, it would be pretty badass. Also... UFC just mainstreaming it up. Uh, with UFC 111, you'll be able to go and watch the pay-per-view at a movie theater. Over 300 theaters nationwide will be offering UFC events, starting with UFC 111, which you can watch March 27th. Uh, tickets probably run you 20 bucks. If you don't want to drop 50 on a pay-per-view and you want to get a couple of friends, definitely a good way to go and see the UFC. Um, a large screen, especially if you go to a place that presents it in IMAX. Definitely badass from start to finish. So once again, props to the UFC for going into the mainstream arena. Um, this weekend is the Strike Force Challengers 7 card, actually 6, and that's going to be in the San Jose Civic Auditorium. If you're in California, you should definitely check it out. Um, there's going to be a first-ever uh, women's, I believe, now that they changed the divisions. It was supposed to be for the bantamweight title. It might be for middleweight and it's going to be uh, Sarah Kaufman. She's going to be fighting Takeo Hashi. Um, Paul Bradley's on that card. Trevor Prangley's on that card. And um, Phil Baldacci, who, was the, who is the fiancé of Rachel from MMA Hot Stuff, was supposed to be fighting on that card. Seems there were some issues with the athletic commission, and his fight was um, scratched from the card. Definitely wanted to see him fight, you know, not only to support Rachel, but definitely a good fight for him, and it would have been something that would have been awesome to see on the main stage. So uh, props for that. Um, if you are on Twitter and you follow Rachel, definitely drop her a line. Um, and Phil also, you can find both of them on Twitter. Let them know what's going on. But nonetheless, I was, you know, my take radio was supporting his, uh, his fight 100%. You know, the guy had a weight cut, um, all that stuff, all that preparation, and the fight got scratched from the card due to, something going on with the athletic commission once i get all the details of course i'll let all of you know nonetheless moving down the card um gamestop announced that james mcsweeney um is going to be one of the first of four playable bonus characters for ufc undisputed 2010 gamestop states that the code and instructions to unlock the exclusive fighters will come packaged with your game the other three characters will be released one at a time on March 2nd, March 9th, and March 16th. Um, definitely, of course, a little GameStop ploy to get you to pre-order the game with them. Uh, it's cool. I have no issue with it. 
Um, last time, though, those fuckers at GameStop, they uh, conveniently didn't give me the fucking code to download um, Escudero and Bader into UFC Undisputed 2009, so those fucking assholes better give me the code this time when I go to buy it, or I'm going to be really pissed. So um, if you're going to pick up UFC Undisputed from GameStop, definitely make sure that you get the code. Um, if anything, open the game while you're there to make sure that the code is in the box because they'll usually feed you that line. Oh, yeah, the code's in the box. Don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. And then you get home, and you can do nothing. So with that being said, um, definitely ready for Undisputed 2010. I actually got some footage and photos that are going to be going up on MyTakeRadio.com sometime this week. Uh, maybe if I get a snow day tomorrow, I'll spend the day putting up a whole bunch of new stuff. Over the weekend, our good buddy Frank Mir, who was fighting Shane Carwin, decided to run his mouth about Brock Lesnar. Typical, you know, Frank Mir stuff. I like Frank Mir. He's a cool dude. He's a bit of a meathead. He, he talks out of his ass, but entertaining guy, great fighter. But um, he said some shit that he shouldn't have said. Basically, um, when he was on the Mark Madden show, he took the opportunity to discuss Brock Lesnar and pretty much said that he wanted to fight Brock Lesnar and quote-unquote break his neck and that he also hoped that Brock Lesnar would, die, would be the first combatant to die of octagon-related injuries. He feels that personally he hates Brock Lesnar. He hates everything he represents. Of course, the feeling is mutual. He doesn't feel that Brock Lesnar is a role model to kids. And, of course, that led to the comments that he made. Before I get into what the fallout was, first off, Frank, you're a dummy. For, number one, saying that Brock Lesnar is a bad role model for young fighters, yet on the same breath, you're wishing him death. So he's a bad role model, but you're wishing him death on a nationally syndicated show. Not a good move. Definitely not a good move. Look, I understand what Frank Mir's intentions were. He was trying to hype the fight. He was trying to be true to himself, talk about the fact that he hates Brock Lesnar, and I understand that. You're entitled to hate somebody, especially from a competitive standpoint, and especially if you're going to fight them. If you hate them, and that's what fuels you to train harder, perform better, you know, you spend an extra hour sparring, that's fine. But you have to remember that now that MMA is becoming more mainstream, and this is going to lead me to the other part of the story, a lot of shit that goes on outside of the octagon is going to be even more scrutinized. It makes us look like meatheads. It, you know, not, uh, not us as in me being a fighter, but just in general, it represents the sport poorly. You really got to make sure that you pick and choose your words wisely. Even myself, you know, I broadcast this show uh, once a week. It's on the Internet. I don't know who's listening. I say a lot of fucked up shit. I probably offend a lot of fucking people. But you know what? I'm in a business where what I say is freedom of speech. You don't like it? Turn the fucking dial. Don't listen. Blah, 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 blah. Send me an email. State your case. Tell me what you felt um, bothered you. And uh, I will gladly respond. And I understand that the animosity he has for Lesnar is, is legit, and that's great. But you can't you got to choose your words wisely. And, of course, after Mir made those comments and they got leaked out, the fact of the matter is 
that um, they, you know, the organizations, they didn't know what to do because, of course, you know, the commentary went mainstream, everybody complained, blah, 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 and next thing you know, oh, Frank Mir issued an apology. The UFC issued an apology. They issued an apology on behalf of Frank Mir, and they released a press release, yada, 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 yada. The press release said the following apology from Mir. I would like to apologize to Brock Lesnar, his family, and the UFC, and the UFC fans for my stupid remarks. I respect Brock, all the other fighters, and the sport of mixed martial arts. I'm sorry that I stepped out of line. That was what Frank Mir said. Dana White his first, his first comment when asked about Mir's comments was, Frank Mir is a fucking idiot, which is all good. Secondly, Dana White's printed response was, I was disappointed by Frank Mir's comments. Frank's been with the UFC a long time. He's a two-time heavyweight champion and commentator for the WEC. I think his emotions are running high right now. He has a big fight coming up next month, and he's still upset about his loss to Lesnar. He's been talked to. He regrets what he said, and he won't be saying anything like that again. Translation, Dana White said, you're a fucking dumbass. Keep your mouth shut and take care of it in the octagon. That's what that is. Frank Mir's apology, in print, it's all fine and dandy. Is it legitimate? I highly doubt it. This is one of those instances where you get slapped on the hand for saying something you shouldn't say. And, you know, it bites you in the ass. Let me tell you something. Frank Mir, if I were him, I wouldn't have apologized. That's just me. I'm more than sure a lot of listeners and a lot of people are going to give me shit. I wouldn't apologize. You want to know why? This isn't checkers. This isn't chess. This isn't any kind of team sport. This isn't some PC shit. This is basically... Two guys walk into a cage and beat the hell out of each other for five minutes. Well, three five-minute rounds for 15 minutes total. There's, there's bound to be some bad blood. If I'm going to fight you, I need a motivation to fight you. Sometimes it's not um, just a question that, oh, I'm competing against him and I respect him as a fighter and blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of times that's the typical cookie-cutter response, and that's great, you know, and I admire the good sportsmanship. But once in a while... There's real beef. It's going to happen. There's going to be real beef. And you have to expect that, especially the guys, they've beaten each other once apiece. Mir beat Lesnar first, then Lesnar beat Mir like a fucking pinata. So it was going to happen. Should he have apologized? No. Not if he didn't feel it. I, when I see printed apologies, they're not genuine. Had he gone to Brock Lesnar personally or, or called him or whatever and been like, look, man, you know, I'm hyping this fight. I'm sorry. That's the right way to do it. The fact that you're doing this little cookie-cutter press release, it shows that the UFC is really mainstream now. It's pretty funny. But definitely props to the UFC for handling it. Classy props to Frank Mir for, you know, removing his foot out of his mouth. But... Definitely don't want to be on the side of that cage if he has to fight Brock Lesnar because I think Brock Lesnar is going to train just a little harder. He's going to hit the pads a little harder. He's going to train a little more. And he's praying to God that Mir beats Carwin so that he can beat Mir's ass worse. I have a feeling that somebody's going to be probably crippled after their fight. But nonetheless, definitely a, an interesting turn of events, and we're, see, we're going to see what's going to happen within the next few weeks. Moving on, Jake Shields 
stated on MMA Weekly Radio that he will be fighting Dan Henderson and that that fight is official for the middleweight title. Looks like it's going to be on CBS, possibly in May. Not 100% sure, and it should be from Nashville. Fedor was also supposed to fight in a- – actually, it's going to be in April because Fedor was supposed to be on the card, and conveniently enough, Fedor is not going to be fighting in April, but instead will be fighting in May against Fabricio Verdum. So if you're looking forward to seeing Fedor fight, you're going to have to wait till May. Um, last bit of information, uh, Shine Fights announced that their third event is going to be headlined by UF's former UFC fighter Dean Thomas. He's going to be fighting former boxing champion Ricardo Mayorga as he makes his MMA debut. debut. The event's going to be called Worlds Collide, and it's going to be the main event, Mayorga versus Thomas. That's going to be May 15th at the uh, Crown Coliseum in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and you're going to be able to see that also on pay-per-view. I'm actually interested in seeing that because Mayorga is making the transition from professional boxer to MMA fighter. We're going to find out how well he does and if the adjustment is as seamless as a lot of former boxers are saying it is to transition to MMA. So definitely something worth seeing. Um, if you're in North Carolina, you can go check it out. And pay-per-view, 30 bucks. With that said, we're going to talk some wrestling right after this commercial break. It's BornStubborn.com. We're just over here chilling. It's all fun and games. BornStubborn.com. Come on over and check it out. Show me to the palm. Actually, fuck that. Way too much to talk about. There'll be a commercial right after that. Let's talk some wrestling. Um, Elimination Chamber happened this Sunday. And first off, as predictable as I knew it was going to be, is exactly how it went. Start to finish. No bullshit. You know, the the matches themselves were good on paper, but eh, there's there's a couple of things that definitely piss me off, and um, I'm going to go through them a little bit. Uh, the Raw Elimination Chamber was John Cena, Ted DiBiase, Randy Orton, Triple H, Kofi Kingston um, against Sheamus, who, of course, was the champion. Um, a lot of predictable things happened. Uh, of course, Legacy cost Randy Orton the opportunity for winning the belt, which led to their breakup on Monday Night Raw, which we knew was going to happen. John Cena ended up winning, which I knew was going to happen. But here's the fun part. Right after the match, Vince McMahon comes out with Batista and says that Batista is going to fight John Cena for the belt right now. So Vince McMahon decided, out of the blue, that Batista, who's on SmackDown can come to Raw, challenge the, for the belt, and that was that. Nobody sees anything wrong with this whatsoever. You know, what happened to the draft, two separate brands, different stars on different brands. No, Vince McMahon woke up on the, on the wrong side of the bed today and decided, I'm going to have Batista fight John Cena. And how did it go? Batista beat John Cena, and your new WWE champion is Batista. What does this mean? Is Batista on Raw? Who knows? Does SmackDown have two belts? Who knows? Not, you know, all these interesting little things were kind of left astray. The IC belt was defended with Drew McIntyre fighting Kane. Uh, Drew McIntyre, of course, was going to retain because why would they give Kane a belt? Why? The guy's been there since, like, the beginning. 
you know, since ripping the cell door and fighting the Undertaker in the Inferno match and uh, the Divas title match that was supposed to happen didn't happen because WWE just fucks up women's wrestling and uh, ended up becoming a tag team match. Um, it was Gail Kim and Maurice versus Michelle McCool and Layla. Pretty predictable start to finish. Michelle McCool and Layla ended up winning the tag team match. Another another train wreck. Women's wrestling, definitely stronger in TNA by 10,000% versus WWE's weak-ass offerings. Uh, the Miz and MVP had a really great U.S. title match. Of course, the big show got involved. Um, the Miz ended up retaining the belt. But nonetheless, watching the chemistry between these two in this particular match shows that you know, MVP definitely in the future is going to have a really, really, really good career. And The Miz is just such a snarky, scummy bad guy that you can really appreciate what he does. But, uh, yeah, definitely going to be interesting. Moving on. The SmackDown Elimination Chamber. Rey Mysterio, John Morrison, Chris Jericho, CM Punk and R-Truth, and, of course, The Undertaker, who is the champion. Now, of course, you would expect the belt to go to somebody like CM Punk, or maybe The Undertaker would retain, but no. Ironically enough, Shawn Michaels interfered in the match, super kicked The Undertaker, and Chris Jericho won your world heavyweight, your world heavyweight title. So, of course, this sets up a few things. Edge versus Chris Jericho for the belt at Mania, already set up. Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker is set up, and on Monday it was, com- it was uh, confirmed that it would be The Undertaker's streak versus Shawn Michaels' career. Odds are HBK will be retiring. Um, Odds are he'll probably become the GM of Raw since he's not going to be a quote-unquote active wrestler. So there you go, folks, the Elimination Chamber, as predictable as I knew it would be. Of course, also this week, we were treated to the next generation of WWE programming, WWE NXT. Now, the initial concept pretty much is similar to Tough Enough, um, Tough Enough was similar to The Ultimate Fighter. Basically, rookies came in, they competed for a slot on the roster and a contract. In this particular instance, rookies are paired with veterans that are, you know, and they film the hijinks that ensue. Of course, they made sure to pair certain unlikely people with other unlikely pros, and they're playing off a lot of that. Um, one of the guys to watch on there, of course, is Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Brian Danielson, the American Dragon. Um, if you're not familiar with Brian Danielson, YouTube Brian Danielson, Ring of Honor highlights. The guy is a machine. He is um, pretty much just as talented as Chris Benoit and just as vanilla as Chris Benoit, just without the tendencies of killing your family and leaving Bibles by their pillows. Definitely don't, he doesn't do that. But everything else, very similar. Technically savvy whole bunch of stuff that just he sucks on the mic. He ended up being paired with The Miz, which at first I thought was very awkward and very strange, but it works. The Miz, great on the mic, can teach something to Danielson. Danielson, very technical, very good in the ring, can teach something to The Miz. Um, Overall, the presentation was solid. Um, The pros and the rookies, of course, fought other pros and other rookies, and Kind of cookie cutter. There were a couple of things that were they they needed improvement, but 
overall, the, the main event was Chris Jericho fighting Daniel Bryan slash Bryan Danielson. And um, match was solid start to finish. Of course, Jericho was going to win, but they did three things. They gave Brian Danielson a chance to show his skill, especially against a veteran like Chris Jericho, which was great. Um, it also started to tease seeds of dissension between Danielson and his rookie, I mean, and his mentor, The Miz. Overall, NXT, I wouldn't give it a solid 10, but I would definitely say that it's a 6, and it has a tendency to, you know, veer into some weird directions, but I'm, I'm going to give it another, another go and see where it goes. There's a couple of promising dudes there, and considering that half of these old-timers are fucking inches away from either being crippled or retired, you know, you've got to start pushing these guys. So I'm not going to shit on it just yet. We'll keep an eye out and see where it goes. Uh, the next three-hour Raw will be April 26th. That's going to, of course, be the draft. So it's definitely going to be something that uh, is going to be worth seeing. Our buddy Ric Flair, uh, he was hospitalized earlier this week because his wife, Jacqueline Beams, beat his ass. Yeah, Ric Flair got beat up by his wife. His wife was arrested and charged with misdemeanor assault. Um, Flair ended up being hospitalized. They didn't give the specifics as to why. Nonetheless, she assaulted Ric Flair, and she is still in police custody. So the nature boy got his ass beat. So... Pretty interesting, to say the least. The dirtiest player in the game got beat up by his wife. It, you know, you could call it tragic, you could call it comedic, but shit, I find it funny. I mean, you know, it's Ric Flair. It's like, baby, don't hit me, woo, woo. Yeah, just her slapping him around and him wooing and falling on the floor and doing typical Ric Flair stuff. It's funny because we always assume that these wrestlers are always in character, but it, it, it's just a, a vision in my head of, his wife was a pretty tall woman, just sunning him and slapping him around. Is just it, it brings a sick smirk to my face. Nonetheless, uh, in an interesting development, a few weeks ago I discussed um, an issue that happened with Bubba the Love Douche and um, TNA knockout Awesome Kong, where, of course, Awesome Kong assaulted Bubba the Love Sponge due to some derogatory commentary that he made about Haiti. Um, needless to say... Awesome Kong is filing a claim with uh, the Florida State, I believe it's the attorney's office, and also uh, filing a lawsuit against Bubba the Love Sponge and AT&T because it seems that Awesome Kong received a call at 5 a.m. on February 10th from a blocked phone number and was threatened. There were also racist comments made, and Bubba the Love Sponge identified himself and said that it was being broadcast on the radio. The call was apparently, of course, a response to Kong attacking Bubba the Love Douche in January. Nonetheless, um, she's suing Bubba the Love Sponge and AT&T. Uh, one, because AT&T doesn't want to give up the information about the number. Two, of course, that she assumes that Bubba the Love Sponge made the call. Um, on his show today, of course, he uh, talked some highlights about that situation and said the following. Um, he didn't call her, of course. Um, he didn't press charges because he just wanted to get the situation behind him. He's not working with TNA. He feels they didn't handle the situation accordingly. He's contemplating suing TNA, and he didn't want to take any calls on the subject in regards to not wanting to ruffle any feathers with his attorney. Um, he found out about the lawsuit through the sheets, a.k.a. the Internet. Um, he feels that the suit is based on heresy, on heresy, hearsay, 
Um, there's no proof, and AT&T can go ahead and release the number because it isn't his. And he's, he's concerned that the allegations could hurt his radio career. So, before I close out the wrestling news, number one, Buffalo Love Savage shouldn't have made the comments that he made. Regardless of how you feel about Haiti, you're in the public, you are syndicated, everybody knows you, and people are going to get offended, and somebody is going to check you. Nonetheless, that person was a very large female wrestler who proceeded to punch him in the face repeatedly. That's number one. Number two, if for whatever reason any of his staffers could did that call, it's definitely going to damage his radio career. And uh, number three, you not being involved with TNA, thank God. So with that said, we're going to close out the wrestling news. We're going to talk some video games because there's a lot to discuss right after this commercial break. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. Hey, this is Rachel from MMA Hot Stuff, and you're listening to My Take Radio. All right, we're back. Let's talk some video games. First off, remember that wonderful, wonderful football game that we all played on the NES growing up, Tecmo Bowl? Guess what? Tecmo Bowl might be coming back to the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Um, of course, um, it's going to be either a... HD reinterpretation of the original, or it may be relating to the Tecmo Bowl throwback that they were discussing before. Nonetheless, the return of Tecmo Bowl, not something I really give a shit about. Sorry. It's, uh, it's you know, it's cute, it's nostalgic, but what are you going to do? Really? There's like five teams. You don't know who's who. No real players are on it. Come on. Really? How about something new? How about a new Mutant League football? How about that? Big fan of that. EA, anybody? Road Rash? How about bringing Road Rash back? No? You don't bring back Road Rash, which is a kick-ass game. You don't bring back Mutant League football. You bring back Tecmo Bowl? Really? Christ. Nonetheless, Sony in an effort to want to continue taking over the world, filed a brand new patent where they want to create a new controller that will be universal and will mimic and be compatible with other game consoles. Based on the patents that have been put out there, it's going to have an LCD touchscreen that changes based on your preferred system. The controller will, of course, support PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox, Amiga, Sega, Sega Jaguar, and even TurboGrafx controllers. Um, it's going to have an LCD control which will, I believe, adjust based on the system. There's not going to be any physical buttons based on the, on the drawings I've seen. Um, don't really know where Sony's going with that unless they're going to try and start buying um, retro properties and putting them on the PlayStation Network and want to allow a more accurate and better experience. 
don't know if that's really what they're going for, but it's it's an inter it's really an interesting concept, just given the fact that you know we have the classic controller, the Wave Bird, things of that nature to play some of those old games that they're releasing um, via the the Wii Store. But nonetheless, I think that Sony, of course, is going to want to do it bigger and better. And the LCD screen, eh, I don't I don't want to say it's it's a hacky idea. But it's definitely not something that can be pulled off with relative ease. So I hope that the patent is just that, a patent, and that they're using um, the design to apply it to something else. I really don't understand the logistics behind a totally universal controller, given the fact that, you know, why are you going to mimic Nintendo if Nintendo has their own virtual console? Don't don't understand the logistics in that. Why are you going to do Xbox if... The Xbox games are backwards compatible. What I don't understand to what end that's going to go, but nonetheless, it's definitely, like I said, an interesting concept, and I will be monitoring it closely. We'll see what happens. Moving on, uh, those of you that are fans of Valve um, and RPS3 owners and feel left out that you don't get to play Left 4 Dead like most of the people on Xbox do, guess what? Valve may be taking care of that sooner rather than later. It seems that Valve has been researching uh, the PS3 hardware with the intentions of possibly um, bringing some of their stuff over. It seems that uh, Jeff Felizek, um, the writer for the Left 4 Dead 4 team, uh, said that the PS3, their approach is extremely cautious. He believes a port of the frantic online zombie blaster is definitely on the horizon. Um, he said, before we do anything on the PS3, we need to be able to support it in the right way. But we'll look at it, and I'm sure down the road we'll do it. So with that said, those of you that want to play a little Left 4 Dead on the PS3, you may get your wish. Definitely, that's something that I can actually say makes me excited, just because you're you're taking some of these really great games that are just stuck on one system and, and putting them out there for the masses because at the end of the day, you know what matters? Money. And you're going to get money either way. Those of us that own both systems, we're going to buy it on the preferred system of choice. That's just how it is. But the amount of money you can get by introducing it on a brand new system and maybe adding a couple of modifications, who knows? It may become another best-selling game on the PS3 as well as on the 360 like it already has. It, you know, it's all about the almighty dollar. I think that Valve is doing the right thing by stepping in that direction. And the PS3 is, is a powerful system. It could definitely support Left 4 Dead. The online component, of course, is an issue, and we've always said that. And I feel that that's probably one of the things that bothers Valve, just because the Xbox 360 presentation is seamless in terms of their online capabilities that the PS3, they need to step their game up in order to bring those publishers into the fold and allow those games to be published on their console. They need to really tighten up the online. I know it's not a big focus for them. They, you know, they got PlayStation Home. They, they feel that that's as good as it gets. It's really not. You want to capture those other IPs. You want to capture that market, and, and you've got to step your game up. Definitely, I can see Left 4 Dead taking off, but it'll only benefit if... Sony has a solid online infrastructure to support it. Otherwise, it's just going to be a lot of BS. I mean, MAG is doing the right thing in terms of presentation and online presence on the PS3, and I commend the team for making it work. 
But Left 4 Dead is a whole other animal, and they really need to get their shit together to make that work. I mean, the PSN, really nice, really streamlined, really cute, you know, with their little home and your little virtual house. and your, eh, no, no one cares about any of that. You know what people care about? Going online, easily connecting with their friends, and playing games together that they enjoy. That's it. Xbox 360 has a very simple formula, but it works. You log in, you pick your game, and you play. There's no extra. You, you log in, you pick your name, you hit Xbox Live on the game, and you go in there. You invite a couple of friends, you have a couple of death matches, everybody's happy. PlayStation, it's like, oh, i got to send you a message, and then we got to link up in the game and make sure you read the message and approve the invite. It's like, holy shit. How about I'm playing it, you're playing it, and we press uh, PSN and we link up. How hard is that? It really is just complicating something simple, and I'm more than sure there's more that needs to be said about it in terms of what the steps are to make it comparable to Xbox Live, but in essence, it's a matter of take Xbox Live, steal it if you want, and make it your own with other little things. I mean, PlayStation Home, kind of close, but PlayStation Home is basically people randomly dancing in the street, paying tons of money to buy virtual shit you don't need, and just just crap in general. I feel that the presentation needs to be spruced up. And at the end of the day, it would only make Sony a better company. It would help them complete, compete with Microsoft on an even keel if they adjusted their online presence. That's all they got to do. Definitely, I'm not telling you to go and reinvent the wheel, but stop making it so difficult for people to play on your system. I mean, Nintendo's another one. Nintendo is notorious. Friend code, this code, that code, area code. It's like, look, how about I create a screen name, you have a screen name, I send you a, uh, an invite, and we play the game. It's, ugh. It's... I, I can't. I can spend an hour just on the, the the bullshit that doesn't allow Sony to get a step ahead. I can spend just an hour of the show on that, but you know what? I'm not. Um, moving right along, Rocksteady, of course, who created the fantastic Batman Arkham Asylum and the sequel, which is coming out this year, has been purchased by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. Um, Warner Brothers is not stupid. They realize that as the, being the publisher behind both games, they have to support Rocksteady because Rocksteady knows how to do a great representation of DC characters in terms of all the fantastic work they did on Arkham Asylum. Definitely a step in the right direction. It's uh, really cool, and I wish Rocksteady the best of luck. I Kudos to them for just coming out of nowhere and just blowing people's minds with the, the awesomeness that is Batman Arkham Asylum. Before we go, in, we go into the next bit of news, looks like we got our first call, and I believe it's going to be Slick starting the trend. Sir, you're on the air. What's up, man? What's going on? Um, just uh, definitely wanted to comment on what you just said. Warner Brothers definitely did the right thing by Rocksteady. I was like, you have the company that made the first good Batman game and I don't know how freaking long. That's right. Hey, let's, let's buy them and lock them down. Let's let's yep. have them 
let's have them make some good games for our other DC characters before somebody else says, hey, they made a great Batman game. Let's get them on something like Spider-Man. That's it. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that Microsoft did with Halo was that they make sure to lock up Bungie. You know, Sony did the same thing with Insomniac. You have to take those companies that churn out a great product, and you've got to lock them down. You have to, and for Warner Brothers in particular. Warner Brothers isn't exactly batting a 1,000 in terms of superhero properties and in terms of superhero games. You know, the only thing that they can say has been successful is, is the Batman franchise as a whole. You know, it's gonna, this will be something I'll address in the, in the movie segment, but you have to take into account Superman games sucked. Superman movies, with the exception of the ones with Christopher Reeve, sucked. Um, their animated offerings, eh, decent. But it's like the really animated wa- offerings are pretty good, dude. Yeah, they're they're good. But are are you really gonna make money on on cartoons when you have so many other properties? You, you have a partnership with DC. You can't do anything better than an animated, you know, Green Lantern flick. Really? That's all you got? You have a plethora a fucking smorgasbord of, of dudes and characters and heroes and villains that you can do stuff with and you give me the worst Superman game I've ever played. Come on, man. Don't, don't you think it's a, it's a little short-sighted that, you know, it took them this long to get their shit together? This long? When, when they could have been doing it a long time ago? They approved the Batman with nipples, for God's sake. The same can be said for other companies, so we're just going to leave that one alone. Of course. We can always say that about other companies, but you know what it is? Warner Brothers is a company that's been around for a long time. You know, their partnership with DC is something that now has been reinforced even more so. And, you know, what they're doing with Batman is phenomenal, from rebooting the movies to building a brand new IP in Arkham Asylum from the ground up, making it, making it successful and an accurate representation of what Batman is all about is, is, is the first step. But it just bothers me that it took them this long to get there. You know, it, it's one of those things, you, you have the opportunity and you have, you know, the know-how and the knowledge and the characters and the money to do it right. Why, why wait so long? And I understand that there's other factors and, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of shit, but there are certain things that you have control over. True. You know, if you watch the screening of the last Superman movie, and, and I'm a member of, of Warner Brothers, and I watch it, I would have gone, and we're going to put this in the theater? Would have been my first response. It, that's the way it is. The Superman game I played, I believe it was on Xbox 360 when the Xbox 360 first came out. Probably really? went through Warner Brothers. Yeah, I played it. It was it was <laughs> abysmal. It was abysmal. It was awful. It was. I, I played it and I go, really? This is it? It, it was it was horseshit from t- and I'm like somebody at, at Warner Brothers and DC must have signed off on this because you have to. Oh, yeah, check out the Superman game, and it was probably some dude in a suit. Oh, this is fantastic, and you can fly? Oh, what about the, the heat vision? Oh, okay, you press the shoulder button. The game looked like it was drawn with an Etch-A-Sketch. Really? Awful. 
having have a debate in the chat which one was worse, the Superman Returns or Superman 64. No, you know which one? I honestly don't know which one wins. Well, you want to know something? I think the best Superman game was the arcade Superman game that I played where if another player wanted to join, the Superman would wear a yellow costume. Yeah, that game actually was pretty bad also. Yeah, but, but that was, I think, as close as it got without being overly shitty. But nonetheless, we, I digress, and I'm jumping off topic. Um, let's hear, let's hear your, your take on it. What do you got? No, like I said, I'm, I'm very happy with what they did. It's a very smart move, and I wish other companies would follow suit to, you know, when somebody does something right with your character, you know, support them. Support that, that production company. Don't let them go to some other project. Let them keep making games for your company. As far as Sony and their whatever the hell they want to do with online, because, you know, I'm a big proponent of Sony, but the fact remains the online does suck. The best online, like, game that I've ever played on the PS3 was Burnout Paradise in terms of connecting to other people. And that had nothing to do with Sony. That was Criterion that did that. And Street Fighter 4. Street Fighter 4. Let, let's be realistic. Comparing to how easy it is to connect to people on the, on the 360, the connection on the PS3 also sucks. <laughs> yeah, we're, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it because we, we, we can, like I said, and I said it before, we can beat up the nuances and the annoyances of PS3's connectivity um, for, for hours on end. But nonetheless, you know, I definitely have to agree with you that there's, there's definitely a severe lack of evolving the online component of the PS3. But I, I don't want to beat it up any further. Nintendo's the same bullshit. I of mean, course. You, you, put in the, you, you put up the article about the DSi XL at the, the Nintendo conference, and Josh said... Save that. Save that. Save okay, it. sorry. <laughs> Save it. But um, sticking, to, sticking to, to the Warner Brothers thing, let's bang that out first. I'm Anything not else you got up? No, I'm not All done right. with that one. All right, well, definitely, you know, call back in for the other thing. Let me just run through this first. All right, no problem, man. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right. But, you, you know, Slick made a, a great point in saying that Burnout Paradise probably was the best online component, util, utilization of the online component for the PS3. I honestly can say hands down that, that Criterion did a great job with that. It's a shame that just the connectivity in general on the PS3 is just so so lackluster and so so poorly developed, man. They better go back to the drawing board and instead of making little motion controllers and shit, fix your online. That's where it starts, man. The online is, is, is key. Fix that. Nonetheless, those of us that are looking forward to God of War 3, I am one of them. Um, you'll be able to play the demo probably this week, I've heard, if it's not out already. Um, but besides that, if you buy God of War 3, you don't need an HD install. Don't need it. No more, no necessity to sit there and wait and wait and wait for it to install. Nope. You just put in the disc and play. The only five, the only thing that's there is the save game only, which is five megabytes. So uh, you can save that storage and use it for something like good old uh, Heavy Rain. 
And as for Nintendo, of course, they did their media event this week, which I covered on MyTakeRadio.com, which Slick so graciously set up for me. Thanks, Slick. Uh, the fact of the matter is Nintendo did announce their little media event and took the opportunity. And, of course, first thing that everybody was expecting was some sort of a Wii refresh, Wii update, uh, Wii anything. Didn't happen. On the contrary, uh, one of the things that I talked about a couple of weeks back made its debut, and that is the DSi XL. Um, the DSi XL, of course, is a larger DS, well, a larger DSi, excuse me, and you'll be able to pick that up for, on March 28th for $189. It's 20 bucks more than the smaller DSi and $60 more than the DS Lite. So if you're on the fence about it and you want a bigger screen, there it is. But on the same breath, Nintendo unveiled that and also unveiled a cartridge with uh, some literary work on it. Um, authors like Charles Dickens, Jane Austen, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is on there, couple of different literary classics on a cartridge that you can read. So, gee, you get an e-book reader, you get a system for less than $200. Hmm, what does that look like? Oh, gee, we're competing against the PSP, we're competing against the iPod, we're competing against the iPad now, and the Kindle, because you get... I believe it's 400 books on a cartridge for 20 bucks. Nintendo is very slick. People are going to complain, oh, you know, why do we need a bigger DS? Blah, 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 blah. Nintendo, smart motherfuckers they are, they, they're going to capture a new audience with this. They're going to capture the casual gamer. The casual gamer wants to play, you know, brain age and Bubble Bobble, Bejeweled, shit like that. But they also want something that serves more than one purpose. The DSi XL can do that. You get an e-book reader, you get a console, well, you get a, a portable console. In addition to that, you'll pro they're probably going to add a whole bunch of little cute doodads, maybe some Wi-Fi, things of that nature, that will allow the system to just multitask beyond belief. Nintendo's very smart by doing it this way. They came out with a nice competitive price point. They didn't go too crazy and plug all the, all the virtues of it. They just said, look, it's a bigger DSi. You can turn it sideways and read books on it, like, you know, just like any other ebook reader. Your games will be bigger, and it's cheaper than 200 bucks. Whether it sells or not is key. We'll see what happens when the MPD numbers come out in April. And we'll see if the DSi is um, revolutionary or just something that's going to be, you know, popular for a couple of months and then just fade away quietly. See what happens. Also, they unveiled a couple of great games. Super Mario Galaxy 2 being one of them. I am a, a huge Mario fan. I enjoyed the first Super Mario Galaxy. Um, it was a very nice game, start to finish. Um, graphically, it was beautiful, bright colors, just... Great gameplay, but you've played one Mario, you've played them all. Um, Super Mario Galaxy 2 continues on the same formula of Mario going from planet to planet, fighting Bowser. There's a couple of little unique little tricks. Um, you can check out the trailer for that on MyTakeRadio.com, as well as the uh, trailer for the DSi XL. You can check that out and share your comments there. Also, the big one, Metroid Other M, 
you'll be able to pick that up June 27th. It's uh, being handled by Team Ninja. It's going to have a 2D side-scrolling aspect as well as 3D graphics. Um, off the bat, based on the slides I saw, start, start to finish, Team Ninja looks like they did a kick-ass job. Um, one of the things that will bug people out is Samus speaks in this game. Um, you'll actually get to hear her voice, a uh, very girlish voice that they gave her, um, how that translates and how it will look in the final product. Who knows, but definitely cool that you actually get to hear her speak. Of course, it wouldn't be a Team Ninja game without its uh, curvaceous, uh, curvaceous females and breast emphasis. Of course, Samus is wearing her zero suit um, in, in the, some of the slides that are shown. Of course, they made her look, you know, super hot because it's Team Ninja. What do you expect? But um, besides that, though, overall, the presentation looks really great. Uh, the job they did presenting Mother Brain and the Metroids was really well done. I definitely think that this game is going to be a must-buy. I mean, there will be some aspects of it that are going to be uh, first-person, but um, the majority of it is going to be 2D on a 3D plane. So definitely something to look forward to. Um, I want to get, right now I only have the slide uh, footage on the site. I want to see if I can get some more gameplay footage. I'm trying to work a couple of angles. We'll see what happens. Nonetheless, Team Ninja definitely doing uh, the game justice. I really hope that it's as um, great to play as, it, as it's great to look at. That's all I got to say. I mean, I, I can't go too much into it based on some slides and some video. It's just the way it is. Um, they also, of course, uh, Monster Hunter Tri or Tree or Trey, whatever. <laughs> you can pick that up April 20th. Um, the online play is going to be free, and it's going to support We Speak. Uh, some of the new items that were going to be available, you can pick up on the Nintendo Store to add to the game. You're going to pick that up. And the demo you can get from GameStop on March 8th, along with 500 Monster Hunter Tri points uh, that you can use on the Wii or the DSi shopping channels. Also, Mega Man 10, you're going to be able to pick that up on the WiiWare March 1st, along with Max and the Magic Marker. I have no idea what that is. Also, they're going to do an indie game that a lot of people have been talking about called Cave Story. You're going to be able to pick that up March 22nd. Sin and Punishment 2 is going to be available June 7th. Um, the game is just really nice. It looked really good. I liked the uh, mix of flying and shooting that was shown. Um, the gameplay trailer, I'm hoping to get it. For some reason, it wasn't working. Uh, you'll be able to pick that up on the site, too. Um, definitely, out of all the stuff they unveiled, I know I'm going to be buying Mario Galaxy 2. I know I'm going to be trying Metroid Other M. Uh, Monster Hunter, I've never been, um, I'm not too familiar with the franchise, but a lot of people I've talked to said that it's a really big thing in Japan, and I'd definitely like to check it out. Uh, before I go into my next bit of news, we got another caller. You're Hello, on what's up? What's up, Reggie? It's Waffles. Hey, Waffles, what's up? Not much. Uh, I've been trying to listen to the show because well, cause I've been working this whole time. That's why you don't see me on the chat and all. But um, but like I've been, what I've heard, uh, like, you were talking about like the Sony's online capabilities, like how they should work on it better, like how Xbox has it. Right. Right. Uh, one thing, Nintendo has to start working on that too, because how you were talking about We Speak, 
like Nintendo doesn't even have any like um hold on, sorry, it's because I'm driving, so I'm also trying my best to pay attention to the road. Please um, don't fucking kill yourself, please. No 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 don't worry, it's good. It's it's nighttime Texas, no one's exactly on the road, so I'm good. No, but um yeah, like I wanna bring up how the Wii has to fix up its online capabilities and of course it does have to bring out better games for it, but you need some way to talk to your friends as well, and they do gotta fix that stupid cold shit. Come on, yeah. like. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the friend code business is definitely a a bit of a black eye on their online capabilities. I mean, they they're always gonna they are third in terms of online interaction. You know, Xbox Live being first, PSN being second, but they they've said it a thousand times that the online capabilities aren't their huge focus. They're all about fun and imaginative games for the family. You know, it's well, not, you know. Well, that's the thing, though. They're saying that uh, the online capability is not their main thing, but, yeah, the only games that they're coming out with are downloadable ones that you have to go online for. Like, So no matter what, that kind of is a big part of it. True. That's a good point. I mean... At the end of the day, Nintendo's going to be all about shilling the cute stuff, the fun stuff, and the innovative stuff that they don't have to work a lot at in terms of online. They'll they'll throw the online in there, you know, because they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's online. Yeah, we you can go online if you want. But they're never going to push that to the forefront because, you know, it's not about you and I. It's about we. So they're going to want people playing together in person. That that seems to be the emphasis that they strive for uh, a lot of times. You know, the Wii is one console that in my house gets played the most when people are, are visiting, when I have a lot of people home. You know, Xbox Live, I'll, I'll go on. PSN, I'll go on. But the Wii is all about playing the game with people in your house. That's all they're about. Oh, uh, well, yeah, you actually do have a good point right there, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. For, you know what? There should be a strong online component for the DS. Definitely, Espe- yeah. at least for that. But for the for the Wii, that's not gonna. You're never. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I understand and I agree with you, but it's not gonna happen unless there's a severe shift in terms of online gaming that Nintendo has to adapt. They're not gonna adapt. They're they're doing. They're making buku money as it is. Just selling us the stuff that we buy now. Why waste time with something that, A, they probably aren't going to want to spend time and money working on, and B, if they're not going to get it right, they're not going to do it. They're not going to offer it. Oh. Yeah, there. You actually shut me up. <laughs> Sorry about that, dude. That's cool, that's cool. That was a good one, though. That's good, that's good. There's Anything else you want to add before you fucking hit a, hit, a, hit a deer or something? <laughs> nah, that's it. That was, that's all I got. All right, Waffles. Thanks for listening, man. Don't get yourself killed. All right, that's it, man. Later. Bye. All right. I'm more than sure Waffle is listening wherever the hell he's going. Um, like I said, hopefully he doesn't run over a homeless person and get him stuck in his windshield before he gets home and the guy doesn't die and haunts him for the rest of the evening. But uh, I digress. And Moving on. Uh, those of you that are fans of one of my favorite games, The Dishwasher, uh, Dead Samurai, guess what we're getting? Sequel. Uh, the Dishwasher Vampire Smile will be shown off at PAX next month. Um, it's going to have two different single-player campaigns along with a co-op campaign. 
You're also going to get this endless dish challenge mode and 50 arcade challenges. Um, the Dishwasher Dead Samurai is a, is a great side-scrolling game. It kind of went under the radar, but I highly recommend it. It's, it's just a fun game. It just shows the, the capabilities of independent developers that if they, they have something that they really focus their energies on, they can really put out a great product. Shadow Complex was the same way. Just great, engaging, small games that you, know, you can play in a couple of hours, probably breeze through, but they're just fun. The presentation is unique and original. I enjoyed it. If you get a chance or if they put it on sale on Xbox Live, definitely pick up the dishwasher or at least play the demo just because it's pretty fucking cool. But um, definitely excited about a sequel. Um, some of the new weapons in the game are going to be something that I like called the Violence Hammer, which is pretty much a giant steel girder wrapped in barbed wire. You're also going to get a thing called a weapon called the Painkiller, which is a six-foot-long syringe. Uh, nonetheless, there is a trailer for the game. I hopefully should have it sometime within the next few days, and I'll be able to put that up as well. Nonetheless, I really, really enjoyed the first one, like I said, and looking forward to the second one. So you can count me in as one of the guys that's going to be picking that up for sure. Uh, moving on, uh, King of Fighters 13, yes. It's going to happen. 12 didn't do so good um, here in the States. In Japan, it did pretty good. Nonetheless, they're going to be using a Taito Type-X 2 arcade board, which is the same board that powered Street Fighter 4 and Blaze Blue. Um, nonetheless, it's going to be unveiled March 25th. Whether they're bringing it to the U.S. right now remains to be seen. I have no storyline details. I have no video. I got nothing. All I got from, from the crew at IGN is that there will be a King of Fighters 13. Hopefully they'll do a better job with the voice work so that round three isn't pronounced round three. Definitely not cool, especially if you're playing it in the U.S. and not in Japan. Uh, Slick can attest to that, yes. Uh, ready wasn't pronounced ready, it was pronounced Letty. So definitely uh, work on that. Get it, SNK? Please fix that because otherwise I can't play the game with a straight face and I'll just laugh my ass off through the whole game. Uh, com took the opportunity and put out some pre-order bonuses for Street Fighter 4. Um, of course, Super Street Fighter 4 will be coming out in April. You're going to be able to pick up uh, Super Thumb Fighters. There'll be little dudes that you put on your thumbs for thumb wrestling. Um, also, GameStop is going to be offering super special costumes for Dalsum, Guile, Blanca, Gen, and Fei Long. You'll be able to get those if you pre-order the costumes. I mean, if you pre-order the game through Amazon.com and Best Buy. GameStop is going to be the ones that are going to offer you the stupid thumb fighters. Oh, oh joy. I know where I'll be pre-ordering the game from. It won't be from GameStop. So, yeah. Not happening. With that said, that lovely bit of news is going to close out the, movie, the, uh, the video game news, and we're going to talk some movies right after this. BoardStepinRadio.com. That's where you'll find our radio show. Rich, you dig it, don't you? Yeah, man. He digs it. How come you don't dig it? Fuck you. Get on the internet. BoardStepinRadio.com. Rat bastards. Ah! All right. Movies. First off. The Crow, getting the reboot treatment. Figures you should know. The Crow will be getting a reboot thanks to director Stephen Norrington, who has been attached to direct the film. Uh, Norrington said that he's going to be working on The Crow first, since the script is ready to go. 
Uh, the casting and the budget have no – they haven't even been finalized, but they're going to reboot a franchise that, honestly, I don't see it being very successful. The, the Crow was something that, to me, was a fantastic movie start to finish, but it was very dependent on the actor, who, of course, was the late Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee. That, that, that magic, that presentation that he uh, – that he brought to the character, you can't reproduce that. It's very unique. See, it's one of those things that you can talk about with The Dark Knight, with Heath Ledger's portrayal as the Joker. Countless guys have played the Joker. Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson. Um, you know, you can go down the list. Mark Hamill's voice the Joker. The fact is that in terms of physical, psychopathic rage and just, just – a hostile representation of the character, Heath Ledger did a banging job. In terms of the crow, in terms of looking, you know, being tortured, adding um, the, the great martial arts choreography, that was all Brandon Lee. You know, you can't do it with Mark Dacascos or um, who the hell was another crow? I think Edward Furlong at one point. It just doesn't work. You need to find an actor that can not only convey um, – the overall aspect of the crow, but you've got to find a dude that can play a tortured character well. And those are rare. There's only very few actors out there that I can say play like a tortured character well. I, I can, you know, I can go on a list of who I, honestly, the crow movies are very niche. They have a very tight-knit fan base. Um, of course, they're going to be able to put out a uh, banging, you know, alternative metal soundtrack, because, you know, that's always going to be a selling point. But in terms of acting, I don't really see anybody out there that can convey a, a tortured, you know, a tortured soul that's just trying to find his way to salvation. I, I don't see it. I mean, worst case, they're going to put the fucking guy from Twilight in it. Who are we kidding? That, that's just how it goes. They, they do these crazy uh, reboots, and then they're like, oh, yeah, let's find a young, fresh face. Oh, yeah, well, somebody from Twilight. How about it? That's just the way it is. I mean, The Crow is a movie that should just be left alone. Honestly, it's like the fact that they wanted to reboot RoboCop. The fact of the matter is that there's just certain movies that they, they, they have zero chance of success as a reboot. RoboCop is one. I mean, you can't capture that same story. Um, yeah, you can throw tons of special effects at it. You can throw ultraviolet. You can throw blood. But just the overall presentation, the the embodiment of the character, it's it's not there. It's not there for a for a for a guy like Peter Weller who played RoboCop really good. You know, it's not there if you're trying to recreate a character that Brandon Lee played so well. It's not even going to happen if you try to add the Joker in another Batman movie. Whoever plays any of these characters has to find a way to make them their own and make them connect with the audience. Otherwise, it's just going to be a shitty reboot that people are going to possibly not even give a shit about, and you're going to sully a franchise that has a really good cult following. So I definitely would tread carefully on a Crow reboot, and if they're going to do it, man, they need to do their research for real because it's going to be one of those things that it's just not going to work. Now. Good old Captain America. Last week, I went into this whole big thing about Captain America. I really wanted to talk to it in detail. Um, before I get into it, it seems uh, Johnny Boy in the forums beat me to the punch. Thanks, Johnny Boy. Thanks for setting it up. Thanks for fucking me up. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
Uh, I mean, honestly, the Captain America movie is is really really unique because you got a guy. He's not um. He's not the most. I I don't know. I mean, I Captain America to me is very vanilla. That's how it is. He's, he's, you know, I got a cool little shield, and I'm the embodiment of America. But he's another one that, much like Superman, has only one cool villain, which is the Red Skull. Everything else is, and, and, and even Baron Zemo to an, ex, to an extent. But everything else about Captain America, his rogues gallery, fucking who's who of zeros. That's what that is. But, nonetheless, but nonetheless, before I go into my whole little spiel on Captain America, there's casting news out the wazoo this week. Uh... First off, Robert Buckley from One Tree Hill has been rumored. 28 years old, 6'2", fits the criteria that the director was looking for. Don't know about that. I saw the dude. I saw what he looked like. I'm like, nope, you're not Captain America. Gets better. Uh, you guys are going to love this. Guys that have read for the role. Chase Crawford from Gossip Girl. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. He has Captain America written all over him. The guy has the body of a 12-year-old girl. What kind of super soldier are you playing? Probably a super soldier in the emo army. That's what you're playing. And, of course, Johnny Boy already informed the forum. Uh, good old John Krasinski from The Office, also from that really shitty movie that he did with Robin Williams. And uh, what the hell was that chick's name? Shit. I don't remember her name. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, good old John Krasinski from The Office. Also rumored, Scott Porter from Friday Night Lights. The guy Mike Vogel from Cloverfield, which is awful. Michael Cassidy from Privileged. Uh, Patrick Fluger from Brothers. Garrett Hedlund from Aragon. Just, uh, just this casting is getting way out of hand. First off, they're offering only $300,000, allegedly. And it's only to establish stars like Chase Crawford and John Krasinski. Established? Those two fucking guys? You got a guy from The Office that only did, like, one mainstream movie. And then, oh, uh, then you got a guy who does, you know, WB, CW, whatever you want to call it, programming. And they want to pay that guy $300,000. The catch is that on top of that money, you have to sign on to make nine other films. Nine. That's insane. It's, uh, it's really, really, really insane that they have nine options. So if you break it down, say you do Iron, um, Captain America, maybe a pop-up in, in one or two other movies. Maybe you do a Captain America sequel. And then the Avengers. That's only four. And the person has an option to sign on for nine films. Madness. Madness, I tell you. But in conversing with, with a couple of people about some of these casting choices, I came up with a really cool solution. Now, some of you guys are going to think I'm insane. This is how it goes. I would cast Channing Tatum as Steve Rogers. Hear me out. Number one, he fits the all-American, you know, I'm going to use this term and it's he fits the all-American white guy look, all right? That's that. Channing Tatum fits that. Then, when he undergoes the super soldier procedure, 
it's, it, you guys are going to think I'm fucking crazy. You're going to put, under the Captain America costume, John Cena. I'll tell you why. If you look at both guys, they look the same. You can't have one guy play a skinny, you know, super soldier candidate, and on the same token, have him play Captain America. It's not going to work. You need a guy who's a lanky coat hanger, who is a zero. Because if you look at any Captain America book and you read his origin, Steve Rogers was a fucking zero. He was a skinny coat rack. You take Channing Tatum, he looks like John Cena. It works in terms of facial structure. Very similar. You throw the fucking guy under a mask and, and you move on. I honestly am very concerned with having, you know, say you get a guy like Chase Crawford from Gossip Girl. All right, let's, let's use him as an example. You put him through the ringer, you get him in shape to be Captain America. That's fine. You get him in shape, he can play Captain America. How's he going to look? What are you going to do? Do six months of shooting with him looking like a zero and then do another six months of shooting with him as Captain America? doesn't make any sense. It's, it's insane. I mean, Jensen Ackles, I thought, was the most legitimate candidate. He has, you know, he, he, can, he looks the part. He's in decent shape. You can run him through the mill and put him in the gym. It, but it's the same thing, which is what concerns me. You kind of need two people to play the role. It's, you, need, you need a lanky zero to be Steve Rogers. And I'm, and I'm sure that, that people are looking at it and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is fucking crazy. And we got our first call about it. You're on the air. All right. Hey, you know. I knew you were going to call. What do you got? Okay. So I told, I, hold on. Hold on. Before you go into it, I told you that my theory was crazy. crazy. I told you that. Crazy? Go ahead, dude. All right. I met John Cena in real life. Like, he stopped by, like, the local game works here, right? Dude is short. Right. He he is a midget, man. I mean, like, you know, he was like, I don't know, what was he, like five feet tall or something like that? But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, dude's built. I mean, he does have the face. I do admit it. He, he does have the face of, uh, you know, Steve Rogers. Only way that's ever going to work is if, like, they CG, like, longer torso on him. Ah, but here's the trick, and I'll tell you where that comes from. Height doesn't mean shit in Hollywood. Look at Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is probably shorter than me. And the fact of the matter is, he always looks the same height as everybody else on screen. Height don't mean shit methodology? in Hollywood. So you think that, I mean, I, mean I, I guess it does make sense. I mean, like, you might as well just get everyone else, but just, like, shorter than um, John Cena. Yeah, I, you know what it is, dude? You've got to take into account that these guys... And just in terms of the mythology of Captain America, you got, the guy has to be a scrub before he becomes Captain America. You can't have, you know, leaping man good looks for, for Steve Rogers. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Channing Tatum chicks, you know, drop their panties for the guy. Don't get me wrong. But he can, he can play that, you know. I mean, you know, a couple of baggy shirts. You don't hit the gym as hard. Boom. You got your Steve Rogers. And it'll be believable because if you look at the two guys, they're similar looking. You know, you can even say Mark Wahlberg looks like John Cena, who also looks like Channing Tatum, who also looks like Matt Damon, and they're all from Boston, and they're probably all the same guy. 
You know what I mean? I, I smell a conspiracy. I smell, I smell a Hollywood conspiracy going on, saying everyone's like a DNA project, a DNA uh, Hollywood project. It really is. You've you got to take into account, I don't understand what's so hard about casting a blonde-haired and blue-eyed white guy to fight Nazis. <laughs> I don't know. You know? You know? Go through, like, the, the whole entire, like, you know, Saving Private Ryan or the, you know, the, the, the cast through uh, Band of Brothers. They might as well just go through all that. I, I can guarantee, I can guarantee if they actually went through all the World War II movies that were made, what, after 2000, they could definitely find somebody. Oh, yeah, but you know, but you know what it is? They want to go mainstream. They want to go, you know, with the name actor. You know, they, they, they knew it worked with Robert Downey Jr., but here's the thing that they're not realizing. Robert Downey Jr. can only play Tony Stark because Robert Downey Jr. is a real douche, <laughs> you know, in real life. He's an awesome actor, but he's a real douche. You have to take into account there's certain people that are built for certain roles. You know, it's like he can only play Iron Man. Christian Bale can only play Batman except when he's talking like Clint Eastwood. But still, he can play a snarky Bruce Wayne. There are certain dudes that are made for certain roles. Heath Ledger was made to play the Joker. You, we, we can go back and forth about people like that. And if you're trying to play somebody iconic, they want to do, oh, you know, they want the big name on the poster. And, and it's good and bad because the necessity to put that big name on the poster makes, utter, makes shitty casting sometimes. It's like it's like let's let's get you know Eric Foreman to play Venom, Let, you know we, we let's go back to that real quick, you know because you wanted a known you wanted a known actor, you wanted a known actor so bad, so bad. Oh, we're gonna get this guy. Okay, fine, oh, and the movie sucked. You know you like have to say like the only time I ever noticed him was like that Sony show. That was it. He did like right. a couple of romantic comedies, but I mean he wasn't like huge. You know what I'm saying? Well, look at it like this. All right, let's say, let's go John Krasinski from The Office. Okay. Okay. The guy did The Office and a shitty romantic comedy with Robin Williams. What, what, is he really the name you want to put on a poster? That guy? That, you, you know what everybody will say? Holy shit, it's Jim. <laughs> They're not going to say shit else. Exactly. You can't equate him to anything else. You, you're going to be waiting for him to dress up as Dwight to dress up as Captain America. That's what you're waiting for because that's what he's known for. You know, it's pigeonholing. They need to find somebody. A, you need an unknown for Steve Rogers, period. And either you need to do a split shooting schedule to make that person chisel out of fucking granite, or you need to have the person played by two guys, you know, by two separate actors. It's the only way. Otherwise, the the, the believability of the character is going to be in the shitter. It is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to toss this out really quick. Hey, I don't want to take up you know, any more time. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Let's hear it. All right. You sound glorious bastards, right? Of course. All right. You know the, the, the dude that uh, killed all the Nazi generals? Yep. Or all the colonels and whatnot? What, what's his name? Oh, shit. Um, fuck. You know I know what you're talking about. about. Yeah. What do you think? What, what, is Captain America or is Red Skull? Captain America. <laughs> Possibly. He might work. You know what it is? He, he, he might work. You need a dude that is kind of young, not too old, and has a, has a decent enough frame that he can get in shape quick. Because that's another thing you've got to account for. You've got to account for you know, fit bo- bodily limits. 
You know, a guy like Christian Bale went from the machinist to do Batman Begins. You know, that's that's a that's a that's a dude who can eat and gain weight and muscle fast. You know, it's like Tobey Maguire. He had a hard time playing Spider-Man because the role was so physically demanding, and and that's a factor that you have to consider as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah, man. Who would you cast? Hollywood would do right. Hopefully. Who would you cast? I I would cast that dude. I I honestly think he could do it. Who? Channing Tatum? No, the guy from uh, from Inglorious Supernatural. Oh, the guy from Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I think I think if you want to go unknown, yeah, I don't see why not. He he seems like a viable candidate. But that's what happens, you know. That they're, they're too busy trying to get the name. I know, dude. I know. <laughs> I know. It's it's such a recipe for disaster just based on what we're reading that we're expecting it to suck. I know. Yeah, I I mean, if anything, just going with low expectations might turn out better than you know any of us expected. Well, we'll see what happens, dude. Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. Thanks for your call. All right, thanks for having me. All right, brother. Peace. I know who this is. What's up, Bronx? Hey, what's up, dude? What's going on, man? What's going on? What do you got? Because uh, I, I know you, I know you're talking about Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I, I think you have a good idea going there with the, you know, the John Cena switcheroo, but. With with the magic they have in Hollywood nowadays, that just wouldn't fly. You know, people are just going to cry foul, and then they're going to be pretty pissed off. What I would suggest is you take the dude from Spartacus, man. I think he's a perfect Captain America right now. You can cast him in the beginning. You can, like, superimpose his body some way, make him look like a little bitch. And then he's already built up as for Spartacus as something like Captain America should look like, you know? He's not right. ridiculous. He looks like an, a gymnast. He looks like an Olympian. And, and he can go for it, man. He has that American look, you know, the light eyes, the light hair. He can pull it off. I mean, that guy would be perfect, you know? He would, and, and it was funny because I was, what, that was somebody who was mentioned to me in conversation today. They were like, oh, man, you know that dude from Spartacus? And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he's foreign. You know, he's Australian. Nobody knows him. But he does fit, A, the profile, how he looks. B, he's an unknown. So what if he's from, you know, he's from fucking Koala Land? Who gives a shit? Exactly. I mean, look at the, the dude who played the Hulk, Eric Banner. You know, he's Australian, and then he did that shit well. Russell Crowe did uh, Gladiator. He's Australian, you know, so. By the way, his name is Andy Whitfield, the uh, the guy from um, uh, Spartacus. But like I said, I think he's the perfect uh, candidate. I mean, he just has the look. Every time I watch that shit, I just pick characters out of it, and I'm like, that that's him right there. You know? That would work, man. You, I totally forgot about that dude. I mean, like I said, I heard we, we discussed it just, you know, people shooting the shit on, on my lunch break and passing. And you know, I hadn't really given it much thought, but he could he could do it. He's he's a he's a nobody, you know, honestly, other than than that show. I think it would work, man. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he's a rising star right now. He's a, he's a nobody, but he's a rising star. You're gonna see him in promising roles in the future. I guarantee it. And I mean, you know, with, with these reboots, they're just gonna cast horrible people, and and it's just gonna kill everybody. You know, with all these new Marvel movies coming out with the Spider-Man reboot. I was reading Wizard recently, and the picks they had were just terrible. For Peter Parker, I just want to vomit, you know, so it, it can go either way. I'm just hoping they, 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 they do their research and pick somebody who really fits the part. And I think that guy, Andy Whitfield, is by far the most perfect Captain America I can fucking think of, you know? 
There you go. I mean, my you, I, the two-person theory, I guess, I guess didn't fly. I, I knew you might have issue with it, but it, I, you know, it, it's it, other than than obviously the height issues that hyena mentioned. You know, height has no meaning in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned that if they're going to do an origin story and do it in World War II, you know, it wasn't like people, like, like gym equipment was what it was in World War II, what it is now, you know? So you've got to have a dude that, like I said, you need a coat hanger. You need a zero. Exactly. And then, and then you've got to have him, you know, develop. And I don't think that, that any actor you pick that has, you know, a regular, a regular guy body is going to be able to get to the, you know, to the look of Captain America in whatever time that it takes to film the movie. That's okay. a process that takes time, it takes diet, it takes training. I don't give a fuck how long you live in the gym. You know, the body needs to rest and it's going to break down, and I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off the way they want to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be in peak physical condition. Another candidate would be uh, Paul Walker, but he's kind of slim. He would really have to bulk his shit up, you know? Paul Walker would do it. He's got the all-American guy look too. That's what you know. It's like white guy, blonde-haired, blue eyes. It's it's, it's exactly. But you gotta have. They're a dime a dozen. See, like Paul Walker and Andy Whitfield, these guys can pull off a tough guy. You know, Steve Rogers is just he's a he's a dude from New York. You know, he's an Irish immigrant. You know, he he's just a good guy. But when he has to kick ass, he he beats the shit out of everybody. You know, what I mean, this guy can fight. So he has to be the kind of guy that can that can look wholesome, but wreck your shit. You know, at the same time. Yeah. That's how you gotta bring him. Bring him home to mama, then stick up the laundromat on the way out. Exactly, but he has to also be the kind of guy that'll lecture you after a battle. Like, you know, I think you should join the side of good because, you know, you're just getting fucked up by me all the time. And you know, he got to be somebody like that. He can't be just an asshole. He has to be a real good dude, you know. And that's Those two guys will be perfect, I guarantee it. I mean, can't get any better than that. Well, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks with the casting news, man. I hope they're listening and they take, uh, they take your advice. I swear if he gets casted, man... Uh, I'll buy you a game or something because I'll be like, fucking Bronx, man, he called it. I, I hope so, man. And I really hope they don't screw up the casting on uh, Spider-Man, the reboot, you know? Personally, oh, no. I think they should just continue from part, you know, to part four and just, like, do a Superman Returns. Like, what are you talking about? There was no Superman 1 and 2. Let's just continue, you know? So I hope they do that, but, you know, let's hope for the best, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could have done that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, man. Well, you know, right. to get my voice heard, man. i see you guys later. You got it, homie. Peace. Later. Bye. All right. Bronx bring up some, brings, brings some great casting choices with uh, Andy Whitfield and Paul Walker. Paul Walker, even though he has that vacant, glass-eyed, dull look of, hey, dude, how's it going? I, he would work, man. He would work for a pre-Super Soldier Serum, Steve Rogers. And, I mean, you can even post-Super Soldier Serum, you know, as Captain America. He could probably do it. You know, he's, he's a pretty tall dude. He's in decent shape. I think it'll work. We'll see what happens, man. But uh, moving on, let's talk some box office totals. Shutter Island was number one this week. It was no surprise. Uh, Valentine's Day was number two. Avatar, Avatar continued to hang out, number three. Uh, $687.8 million domestically, $2.4 billion worldwide. Percy Jackson and the Olympians was four. The Wolfman was five. Dear John with G.I. Joe's Channing Tatum was six. The Tooth Fairy was seven. Crazy Heart was eight. From Paris with Love was 9, and Edge of Darkness was 10. Nonetheless, Shutter Island, I've heard mixed reviews. I have a feeling that it's going to stay in the, hang out in the top 10 for a little bit, just because there's really nothing of note coming out that's going to be huge. Um, one of the trailers I did see today was for The New Nightmare on Elm Street. I'll talk about that later in the broadcast. Um, definitely promising, but in terms of anything really big right now, next month you got Clash of the Titans. 
which is probably going to be the one that's going to just, you know, set set everything on fire in terms of money. I, is it going to make Avatar money? Probably not. But it's definitely going to make a substantial amount that's going to put itself out there. Nonetheless, definitely Shutter Island is something I want to check out. I'm not going to go and pay, you know, 10 bucks to see the shit, but definitely want to check it out. Um, Wesley Snipes, you know, good old Wesley. He's actually um, in a new movie coming out with Richard Gere. It's a cop flick of Ethan Hawke is in it as well. But uh, Wesley Snipes recently revealed that he's actually interested in doing a fourth Blade movie. Yeah, not bad. Uh, he said that if the script was right, he'd definitely be interested in, in playing Blade. Um, honestly, I have no issue with a fourth Blade movie. I mean, yeah, Wesley Snipes got to pay them legal bills. Thanks, Slick. But um, the fact of the matter is that he did a good job. I mean, I really don't have much to say about him. I mean, he definitely got over – he definitely got the rug pulled out from under him when you put Ryan Reynolds in the role and, and uh, Jessica Biel, you know, because they played their characters really well and it kind of took the focus off of Blade. But the, the villain, you know, Dracula in that movie was abysmal. If anything, you know, you could have made Triple H play Dracula at that rate just because he had some of the more memorable dialogue in the movie. But Blade himself, I have no issues. No issues with the first one. Great movie. actually thought the second one was really cool. Uh, the second one's actually one of my favorites. I really like the character of Nomak. He was really cool. Third one, I, I think that Ryan Reynolds stole the movie. He was hilarious from start to finish. His interactions with Parker Posey were really good, um, but I, I have no issue. I really don't. I mean, yeah, it's another sequel, but it's the same guy who originally played the character wanting to continue playing it. If the movie sucks, it's either because the story is shit or because Wesley Snipes phoned it in. I mean, he did kind of phone it in in the third one because he felt that he didn't want Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jessica Biel's characters included in the movie because obviously he knew it was going to take focus away from him, and he was right to some extent, but another Blade movie is definitely going to make money, um, especially if he's motivated, gets in great shape, and has a solid storyline. I'd have no issue seeing it. None whatsoever. Our buddy Bruce Willis is all over the news this week. Of course, his new movie, Cop Out, is coming out Friday, but in doing press for Cop Out, he said that he is interested in doing a sequel to Unbreakable. Uh, Unbreakable was done by, you know, M. Night, you know, Shyamalama Ding Dong, that guy, and, um, Pretty much an homage to comic book movies from start to finish. Uh, fantastic acting from Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis. And I definitely would be open to a sequel to that because there were a lot of unanswered questions. And it was just a, a, a great movie. I personally liked it. It was one of those things where people that definitely had a really strong either love or hate for the movie. I liked it just because it, it was a different take on you know, the, the villain-hero dynamic. You know, it was Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass character was, was really well thought out, really well done, because he wanted to create a, a hero. Uh, he wanted to create his nemesis, and that was just very interesting to me. I found that, you know, the, who goes out there and wants to create, a, you know, somebody to oppose him at all times, whether on purpose or not? Overall, I felt that, you know, Unbreakable... There were a lot of unanswered questions, and if they get answered in the second sequel, so be it. It's, you know, I, I can't really say anything. Usually I shit on the sequels, but fuck it. I'd go see it. Um, also, Bruce Willis said that he wants to do another Die Hard. 
Uh, he's definitely going to do Die Hard 5 next year. He said he'd like to bring back Len Weissman from Live Free or Die Hard. He says that he takes a lot of pride in playing that part of, the, of, you know, of his career, of that mythology, and he'd like to do something further with the character. Um, I like the Die Hard movies. They're guilty pleasure. You know, eh, come in, have a few laughs, you know. I like that. It's just a, a great, mindless action flick. Uh, Bruce Willis has just great presence in playing the character of John McClane. Um, definitely hesitant about a fifth movie just because what else are you going to do? You fought cyber terrorists, Russian terrorists. You fought terrorists in New York. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to go to another country? Maybe that'll work. You're going to go after bin Laden? I, I, I mean, I, I'm throwing just random bullshit out here, but when, when you talk about franchises like Die Hard, it's like we've done everything. What else is there? You know, are you, are you going to do him in Afghanistan? Some, some random shit. I mean, it worked with Rambo just because they took it to another part of the world and, you know, they kind of forced him into the situation. I definitely feel it's going to happen in, in the next Die Hard movie. It's... Uh, it's something that's going to be just – it's going to make a lot of money. Bruce Willis is going to use his typical charm as John McClane. And Len Weissman wrote a good story for Live Free or Die Hard. He did a great job directing it. Definitely see it being successful. Now, in terms of making super amounts of money, not so much. But definitely some money's in the bank for him. Um, Conan. Conan is currently casting thus far. The uh, MMA fighter Bob Sapp is going to be playing a character named Ukafa. Um, he's going to be a number two guy to the main villain. Uh, Mickey Rourke is allegedly in the running to play the, the father of Conan, Corin. Um, on top of that, it, you know, right now it seems that you know, they're really going really full scale with the Robert E. Howard interpretation of Conan, you know, with the black hair. Not so much as... as Arnold's Conan, but just going back to the roots of the comics, uh, Jason Momoa is going to be playing Conan. Leo Howard, who was in G.I. Joe, that played a young Snake Eyes, will be playing a young Conan. Overall, uh, Marcus Nispel is directing the film, and uh, Sean Hood is rewriting the script. Um, they're going to start filming March 15th. I honestly have a lot of reservations about the Conan project, uh, basically just because it can either be really right or really wrong. It can either be great like the original Conan or lame like the Scorpion King. I mean, it's, it's really, it really is 50-50 in terms of suckitude. It can either be great or it can be shit. It's just how it is. But definitely Bob Sapp is a, is a, is a good dude to have in a Conan movie. He definitely fits similar to the Wilt Chamberlain role of Bombata in the second Conan movie. Um, you, you need that. You need that large presence. Besides, you know, there's going to be a huge brawl between that number two dude and Conan right before he fights the lead bad guy. So um, definitely want to not shit on the project, but like I said, 50-50 in terms of just being crap. We'll see where it goes. Uh, moving down the list, uh, some Superman news. Um, David Goyer will be writing the next Superman film. It will be titled The Man of Steel. Um, he's going to take the movie back to the John Byrne incarnation of Superman. It's going to involve Lex Luthor as well as Brainiac. It's not going to be an origin story. It's not going to be um, any of that. They're going to continue to acknowledge, you know, Lois Clark, Jimmy, Perry White, The Daily Planet, 
Um, Kryptonian mythology is going to be a big part of the film. I'm definitely impressed that David Goyer is involved. Uh, he's a good writer. He wrote Blade Two, which was really solid. And on top of that, you got the involvement of Christopher Nolan as well as Jonah Nolan from The Dark Knight uh, being involved with it. So Goyer and Nolan definitely have the makings of putting out a great Superman movie. So I, I actually have hope this time around, especially with Nolan being involved and his interpretation of The Dark Knight, you know, and carrying over into the Superman franchise. I'm all for it, man. I think that's going to be pretty kick-ass, and I hope it does well. We'll see what happens. I mean, worst case, the Superman movie sucks. The the rights go back to the uh, to the Schuster family, and we don't see any more Superman movies. So let's hope it's successful. But of course, with every good news story is a real shitty one. The crew at Deadline Hollywood reported that there will be a sequel to the wonderful and exciting, thrilling film Zoolander. Yeah. Zoolander is getting a sequel, and Ben Stiller will once again star. Um, there's a rumor that they're working on getting Owen Wilson back in to play, Han to play Hansel, and Jonah Hill is in talks to play the villain. Yeah. Right. Zoolander. Yeah. Uh, before I close out the movie news and the show for this week, a couple of things. In going back to all these Marvel movies, and I had a theory. What you know, you're gonna agree, disagree. I think every superhero movie put out by Marvel or DC that takes place in the same universe should end with some sort of a cliffhanger, like a fucking comic book. Period. Just because there's always gonna be a sequel. Why not end it with a cliffhanger? I mean, nothing captured it better then in Batman Begins when it ended with Batman speaking to Commissioner Gordon and he was handed a Joker card. Dead giveaway, the Joker would be in the second one, but, you know, it got people buzzing. It generated a buzz. Same thing with Nick Fury meeting Iron Man. Generated a buzz. I think one of the things that all comic book movies should take into consideration is the fact that they should end in some sort of a cliffhanger. It, and, you know, you can't take too much time between making the movies because people, the buzz will die down. But it's one of those things where, all right, you get Captain America, you do the movie, the cliffhanger is he gets frozen in ice, but right after the credits, you show the ice cracking and you see, like, Thor's hammer and his silhouette and Iron Man looking at the block of ice. I'm all about doing that sort of thing. It should be some sort of a cliffhanger. You really can't do these movies, do the credits, and then, you know, five, five months later, oh, yeah, we're going to do a sequel. Can't do that. Comic book films, and I know I beat this up a lot, and I know a lot of you probably are like, oh, fuck, he's going back to that. Look, this, this applies to all filmmaking. You have to give the audience the sense that they're believing in what they're seeing. On top of that, you have to give them incentive to believe in your project to want to come back to see a second or a third or a fourth interpretation, whether it's a sequel or whatever, or another reimagining. You want that. And it, I use comic book movies in particular because the source material is fucking easy. You can't fuck it up. It's, you know, it, it's like, you know, Roshi said Conan is one of his favorite characters. Conan is a great example. There's a lot of great stories. There's a lot of great characters. If you want to make it a franchise, at, you know, you close it out, and right before he rides off, 
you know, you throw in a mention of a character that's a lead villain in another storyline for Conan. Boom. There's your setup for the next one. It's one of those things where, for Iron Man, you're going to end Iron Man 2 probably with him and War Machine. And honestly, it should end with him and War Machine, you know, being interviewed by the press, scale back, and you can see the Mandarin sitting looking at the monitor with the ten rings on. You know, and he can say something like, yeah, Tony Stark, whatever, you won this round. Boom, there's your third one. Not only do you introduce the Mandarin as a villain, but you, get, you generate buzz for the third one. One of the things I enjoyed about The Incredible Hulk is the deleted scene where Captain America's frozen in the ice. If you haven't seen that scene, pick up the special edition of the Hulk, run the uh, alternate opening, you can see Captain America frozen in the ice. Iron Man, you look in there, you see Tony Stark's shield. On, um, you see um, Captain America's shield on Tony Stark's workbench. Um, and on and on, you know, Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man, the Punisher at the end of Spider-Man 2, walking when Mary Jane was running through Central Park. A lot of things. There, there's a lot of little things that are very fitting, and you should play on that. Same thing with movies that are existing franchises. You know, with the reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street, for instance, you're reimagining and retelling a story of a character we all know. Okay, that's fine. You want to make it a franchise? Make sure that there's that big scare at the end, right before people leave, or something. But make sure that the quality of the film is just as good as the buzzing ending. Otherwise, people aren't going to give a shit. They're going to be like, oh, you know there's going to be a second one. You know, one of the things, Freddy vs. Jason, to many people, is considered an abysmal fucking movie. And it was all right. It, it was pretty decent. The coolest thing at the end was him walking out with Freddy Krueger's head and Freddy Krueger winking at the camera. That was a dead giveaway that A, Freddy didn't die, B, there would possibly be a sequel. And, you know, it gave the, the audience something to cheer for, a little feel-good moment. You know, they're like, oh, that's pretty badass. But it, it's unfortunate that Hollywood takes the emphasis and puts it more on just trying to separate you from your money in multiple instances instead of doing the big, the big buy. Lord of the Rings was good like that. It, Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King, all of them. They, great endings. They left the endings just with enough that you go, holy shit, I can't wait for the second one or the third one. Th that's what it is. They, you know, Lord of the Rings captured that perfectly. You can even go as far as to say that they, you know, they, they were the masters of that because they, they drummed up that interest. Same thing with the Star Wars franchise. Same rules apply. It just seems that the, the art of storytelling is lost and it, it's being replaced by tons of special effects and unoriginal ideas. Looks like uh, Slick is joining us for a second runaround on the phone. What do you have to add, my friend? Yeah, man, on the whole reboots and sequels and all that shit, my thing is, I really think, and it's strange, that Hollywood just doesn't give a fuck. And what I mean about them not giving a fuck is that, you, you think, let's say that these movies actually do what you're talking about, because a few of them do, and unfortunately you're wrong when you say that the source material is there, you can't fuck it up, because we've seen them fuck it up time and time again. Yep. But, but you know what it is, uh, but not to cut you off, you have to look at, at it from this situation. 
there's a there's a saying that it's like you make an idiot proof they make a better they make a better idiot that and it does apply and it applies no more truer than to movies because you take a comic book you put it on a director's desk you tell them read it they read it from start to finish they're like okay you're like I want a movie based on this book the guy goes all right and then as they start making the movie they go well you know maybe we should add a little bit more going on with such and such as parents. Or maybe we should add a little bit more with the love interest. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hey, guys, what do you think? Then the studio comes in. You know, maybe you should add this character in because he would look really cool, especially with the special effects, and we got, a, we got the budget. See what happens? It doesn't become as, as clear-cut, even though it so is. You know how many times I hear, oh, I read the book. Let me tell you something. Hugo Weaving voiced Megatron in Transformers. Do you know that Hugo Weaving has no idea about anything relating to Transformers? He just did a voice. He's like, yeah, they just told me to do a voice for this guy, and I read the dialogue. He knew nothing. Zero. Nada. And that's what happens. You put these guys in these movies. They don't learn anything about the characters, and the few that do are the ones that get them right. Hugh Jackman is a great example. The fucking guy financed the Wolverine movie. He wanted it made. Yeah, it was PG-13. Yeah, it wasn't bloody. Yeah, the interpretation was made for the, uh, for, the, for the parents to buy their kids toys at Target. But he took pride in the character because he felt he played him well. And the audience responded to that. It's just the way it is. It's shit. It's, it really is idiot-proof, dude. I know you're going to say that they're going to fuck it up. And, and they do, and I understand that. But at the end of the day, you have material to work off of. Stop adding so much extra shit to it. But that's what I'm agreeing with you on. You have material to work off of. And even if people don't read the books, when you make these movies that have these little endings that scream sequel, you're right, it does generate a buzz. And you have this thing, this magical thing called the Internet with freaking chat rooms and forums and shit, and everybody runs out and says, I saw the movie, and blah, blah, blah. They did this at the end, and this is what they should do with the next movie. These are people who have read the books. When all else fails, you can look at this fucking plethora of information. People are giving you ideas of what they want to see. It's everywhere. And if, even if nowhere else, it'll be on the freaking website for the next movie. And Hollywood pays zero attention to this, which leads me to believe they just don't give a fuck, which is really stupid because when you don't give a fuck about your audience, why should your audience come see your movie? This is true, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be guaranteed money. It's like, let's take a good example. A few weeks ago, you know that I said that Taylor Lautner from Twilight is going to play Stretch Armstrong. I told you that. Everybody, blah, 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 it's going to suck. Yes, we know. But guess what happens? Because it's Stretch Armstrong. Right, but guess what happens, though? You have this thing called the children. And see, nowadays, the, the, the hardcore fans don't make the rules anymore. The children do. It's all about what are the children going to want to dress up for Halloween? What are the children going to want their parents to buy them related to this per particular character? What are the children going to force their parents to buy them when the movie's over? That, that's what it's all about. The new generation isn't Generation Y. It's Generation Me. It's all about what I can do for me. What can this do for me? And that's what it is. The, the new generation wants to go in there. They want to watch a movie, and then they want the stuff that, that's associated with it. 
A perfect example is Twilight. You go in there. You watch Twilight. They walk out. All of a sudden, people start buying the book. Emo guys start wearing gray jackets. Um, you know, Edward Cullen underwear. Edward Cullen lunchboxes. Jacob Lautner, you know, uh, Taylor Lautner lunchboxes. Um, action figures, toys. Yeah, the, the, the sex pillows. Um, Edward Cullen underwear. This is what I'm saying. It's all about Generation Me. Me, 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 me. It's what can you do for me instead of looking at it as let me do something for the masses. No, it has to be for me. I have to enjoy it. I have to want to part with my money to support the project. That's what it's about. It, it really is, it really is a, a, a disservice to a lot of these movies and a lot of these characters when they're put out so poorly and you know, let me tell you something. Ten years ago, somebody would have said to me, they're going to do a Wolverine movie. I would have been super excited, and I would have expected it to be just like the comic book. Now, I watch the Wolverine movie, I go, eh, it was good. If Wolverine would have been made true to the comic book, it probably would have made a fuckload more money than it would have made. It's Wolverine. How the hell is it that Wolverine's not a movie that's up there with you know, Spider-Man as a top-selling blockbuster, or Batman as a top-selling blockbuster. How does, how does that not happen? That's because, like I said, it's for Generation Me. What can you do for me? Oh, well, I'm going to make a Wolverine that's watered down so that the parents can go and buy the toys that can put money in my pocket. See what I'm saying? Yeah, sadly. Yeah, it, it, it is a real sad thing. That, that we've reached where, you know, so many great stories are, are going to be told. You know, uh, Cass made up a good point about Wicked. Wicked is a great book. It's a great play, and they're going to make a film out of it. Odds are that when Wicked is released, it's going to be probably good. Might not, but it probably is. Let's say it is good. You guess what you're going to see? Wicked lunchboxes, Wicked sweatshirts, Wicked hats. Wicked pins, wicked keychains, yada, 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 yada. And then they'll split it up and they'll do, oh, we're going to do another book from the series. Not going to be as good. You want to know why? Because they're going to add more shit to make the fans happy. The fans are going to be happy regardless, but you've got to stick to the story. It's just the way it is. We will watch the shit. Trust me, we will. But just let us feel like our input matters. What's the, what's the necessity for putting polls and things online and, oh, yeah, we talked to the fans and we interviewed the fans? Really? Then why the fuck isn't any of the things the fans, said on the, the fans have said on the screen? Dude, there was a USA Today poll when Transformers was going to come out that they wanted Soundwave and the Dinobots in the next movie. Perfect example. USA Today, huge poll. Soundwave and the Dinobots by a landslide. Did we see Soundwave in the movie? Yes, for five seconds. Were the Dinobots in the movie? No. Nope. So why did, why did I bother answering the poll? What a waste of fucking time. Why would I do that? That's exactly what I'm saying. It, it, it's just a lack of, of cooperation for, you know, and a disservice to the fans. But what can we do, my friend? All we can do is complain and hopefully someone will listen. One of these days. There you go. You got anything else to add, bro? No, I'm good, man. All right. For those of you that haven't checked, definitely stop by MyTakeRadio.com and check out Slick's review on Darksiders.
and uh, feel free to share your thoughts and your comments with them. How's that? <laughs> All right. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> All right, dude. All right, man. All right. All right, that about wraps up the show for this week. I just want to give out a couple of plugs. I want to thank all the people in the chat that tuned in this week. Uh, welcome back to Cass, who was a, uh, who's a, a good listener. She came back uh, an episode too late. I know she wanted to be here last week battling the flu. Welcome back, Cass. I want to thank uh, the ladies from Girl Gamer who are in the chat also visiting. Shout out to Joanna and to Angel. As always, thanks for the support and stopping in. Um, and with that, let's do some plugs. Of course, off the bat, girlgamer.com. Definitely check it out. Head over to girlgamer.com. See what they have to offer. See if it's for you. Check out their interpretation on video games as well as their overall presentation. It's solid. It's to the point. And, yeah, you know, there's a little, little girliness going on in there. But you know what? They play games just like us. They just don't pee like us. <laughs> That's the best endorsement I can give them. Um, MMAValor.com. Uh, definitely stop in there. A great source for MMA news. Uh, check out the MMA Valor store for some of the great clothes that they got, great fight shorts, awesome T-shirts. Head over to MMAValor.com. Look for them on Twitter as well. Um, shout out to MMA Hot Stuff and MMASocialites.com. Of course, Rachel has both projects. It's unfortunate her fiancé could not fight this weekend, but definitely stop by MMA Hot Stuff for a great uh, take on MMA from the female perspective. Uh, Shout-out to Darksiders.com for putting out a kick-ass game. Uh, Hayden and Han should be joining me. I'm hoping within the next two weeks if I can uh, squeeze THQ a little harder. Um, of course, shout-out to Spike TV, the crew at Deadliest Warrior. They should be back as well. Uh, MySpace.com slash Brooks Macbeth. Check out Brooks Macbeth on MySpace as well as on YouTube. It's YouTube.com slash Brooks Macbeth. Uh, shout out to Don Anderson who was in the chat. You can hear his show, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, on tu on Tuesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network at 10 p.m. Uh, stop by, say hi to Don, tell him I sent you. Um, definitely a great show, really random, really free. D no bullshit. He comes in, he tells some great stories, makes me laugh. Uh, so stop it. He's a, he's a funny guy. Definitely check out Mr. Anderson's show on Tuesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Um, you can also check out vgnradio.com myself don anderson and a couple of other people are involved with the vgn radio show as well um beat art if you want video game sprites and and awesome crafts definitely head over to royaltresses.etsy.com for that um born stubborn radio thanking them for their awesome commercials a little offensive by some but definitely humorous overall shout out to 411 mania ocremix.org, mmajunkie.com, filmdrunk.com. I think that's about all the plugs. Um, of course, you've been listening to My Take Radio, episode 32 for Thursday, February 25th, now 26th, 2010. Um, if you want to email me for anything in particular, mtrhost at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, anything of that nature, mtrhost at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account, which is twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number two, the number five, on Twitter. You can also check out the My Take Radio feed on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash mytakeradio, all together, one word. Of course, I'm on MySpace, myspace.com slash mytakeradio. Check that out. If you're on Facebook, you like all the shit I talk every week, stop by the Facebook fan page, show some love. 
We're at about almost 90 followers, want to make it 100. You can help. Stop by the Facebook fan page. And with that, I want to thank everybody that tuned in, everybody that called in, and everybody that listened. Um, again, this week's show I dedicate to my mom. Passed away 10 years ago this Saturday. Without her, there'd be no me. Without me, there'd be no show. Thanks, Mom, wherever you are. I'm out. Thanks for listening. Love all you guys. Peace. Oh.